When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gazpacho police. Oh my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today, I am so privileged to be here with Val Vochevska. She's currently the head of digital for Amnesty International, and she's also a Ukrainian sharing vital insights from the war on social media, the war in Ukraine. If you've been following us, you've definitely seen some of her insights. We've been relying on you quite a bit to parse and unpack what's going on. Thank you so much for being with us, Val. Thank you so much. I'm I'm really happy to be here and help my country however I can by talking more about what's going on. Wonderful. So I'd love if we could sort of start really broadly and talk about your Ukrainian. So talk about your background and connection to this war and where you are right now. Yeah, of course. Um, so as you said, I'm Val. Um, I was born in Kiev in, in Ukraine. Um, and my family is from both the Kiev region and the Chernihiv uh, region that you've probably heard about um, recently that's been under quite a severe attack and, and shelling and, and bombing and, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, my family has, has um, originally been from those two areas in Ukraine. Um, I basically studied and, and grew up partially abroad. Um, I'm currently living in London, um, where I work at Amnesty International. But at the moment, I'm sort of operating um, and doing as much as I can independently to help mm-hmm. my own country um, and and using my own social media accounts to to sort of unpack for people who may have not had previous knowledge of what's happening um, as well. So I basically um, have always been quite interested in social media and social media activism and, and have been doing that for quite a while from from the media side of things. So I used to yeah. work at Newsweek uh, as the social media editor and, and then transitioning into the activism sphere. Um, so it has come handy uh, now in, in the context of what's happening back at home. Um, my family still lives in Ukraine um, or I think it's weird because now half of my family is in Ukraine and half of my family isn't in Ukraine. Okay. Um, my parents, I'm really glad to say that, you know, two weeks before everything kicked off properly, uh, they came to visit me. Um, it, just, it was something that was planned for a very long time. It wasn't something that, you know, they decided, oh, we need to go all of a sudden. 
and and we were together when everything um, happened and kicked off. But my everyone else from my family, my uncle and my aunt, uh, my other uncle, my other aunt, my dog, um, mm-hmm. they're all in 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 Ukraine at the moment. Not all, sorry, two of them are, two of them aren't. But I'll talk about that more, okay. I guess, as we uh, continue this conversation. Yeah, yeah, sounds great. So. You're not in Ukraine currently, but I can't imagine it's possible to think of anything else right now. I'm very curious what your days are like lately. What's the first thing you think when you wake up? What's the first thing you do, do you, when you grab your phone? What's the first thing you're looking at? And, and what's, what's, what's your day like? How do you get started and decide how to map out your day to have the most impact? You know, it's actually, um, I was thinking about this and it's actually really weird because the way that I think about my days, it, it feels to me now that my days start at night weirdly like the 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 cutoff point for my life now is not the morning of a day but the night of a day if that makes sense because I think a lot of us Ukrainians have been so scared to go to sleep and miss something that has happened so that you know the nights have become sort of longer and longer for us that that the mornings are kind of like you don't really think about them as much you think about the night so um, basically, yeah, I, I can start from right before going to bed. It's been quite hard to to fall asleep, obviously, as I said, it, sort of anxiously checking Twitter. Um, in the very beginning, when all of this started, uh, first two days I didn't sleep. And then I tried to put an alarm on on my phone every hour at night so that I would wake up and check the news just in case something happened, um, which is just something, you know, that just makes you even more tired and yeah, even right. more out of it. Um, and then usually what, what, what I do now, the days have what I've been doing during every day has really shifted from day to day as okay. the situation, uh, you know, started. So when everything started, uh, the first thing I did was I, I obviously woke up, turn on the TV. Um, all the Ukrainian channels have now actually united into one central channel that they live stream. Okay. Um, so I always wake up and start with watching that and scrolling on Twitter, uh, Kiev Independent, uh, which I'm sure many of you follow as well, um, and just checking for w- what's been going on, what happened at night. I don't know why night is something that like scares a lot of us because a lot of the fighting happened at night or, you know, everything started at 4 a.m. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just checking w- what's been happening. And then sort of I start with thinking about I actually don't even think about it that much, but I straight away sort of go into what is the thing that is super important to talk about today because the situation is so quickly developing. So, you know, every day it's something different. Like two days ago, it was just to unpack a little bit for people sort of what Ukrainian culture is yeah. and the history of, you know, Russian imperialism and and the way that, you know, Ukrainian culture and Georgian culture and Armenian cultures have been, you know, sort of, overshadowed by by the Russian Empire so I, to me that was just personally I felt like that was the most important thing so I wake I mm-hmm. woke up thought about it uh, produced uh, a piece of content posted it on Instagram um, and then sort of really uh, you know everything kicks off from that moment and you just start talking to people you start right. you know people start asking you questions start reaching out and, and it just uh, goes like that in the beginning I used to forget uh, a little bit to do all the day-to-day things that keep mm-hmm. a human going. But now it's like <laughs> okay. super important to refocus back on that and, and try to, you know, get dressed properly, put some makeup on, whatever mm-hmm. makes, you know, a person feel like they're slightly in a normal situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, what, 
So you mentioned sort of highlighting some of the aspects of Ukrainian culture and the history of the relationship between Russia and Ukraine. What made you feel like that was important to highlight? Was that something you felt was missing from mainstream coverage or that's just something that you felt you needed to point out in a different way? Why did you feel really moved to sort of highlight that? And also sort of in addition to that, Russia's kind of like colonialist intentions. Do you feel like that has sort of been missing? Um, Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of people who have actually been doing a lot of work around this prior in an academic level. But um, I was just talking to uh, another person, uh, Yulia Timoshenko, who's um, he, she's also an Instagram like activist. I'm sure you follow. Yeah. Her. Uh, but we were talking about the fact that like there's a lot of this academic information and not a lot of it has been like digested into digestible content for the mainstream right. audiences. So I think that's one of the like main driving forces, but also because I started you know, I was scrolling one day as well the night before on Instagram and I have a lot of Russian friends, obviously, and some yeah. of them were like liking and sharing this post of this guy who basically like wrote a massive post about, you know, Russian culture and, you know, Malevich was Russian and this person was Russian and Russians created this and Russians did that. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, maybe they did. Um, but but the fact that the world is all of a sudden celebrating Ukraine mm-hmm. is it doesn't mean that we're trying to cancel out some other culture you know like just because you you all of a sudden start speaking about a culture that a culture a country people society that you the world didn't speak about before it doesn't mean that you're trying to cancel out something else right it's um so i was quite compelled to sort of write a response to that i know it's really bad to engage with with sometimes with people that you know may disagree with you and strongly disagree with you uh, because you're just sort of reinforcing Mm -hmm. some of their messaging. But I thought it was quite important to like flip it and just show to people the history of sort of the way that the Russian Empire dealt with uh, Ukraine, but not just Ukraine. I got loads of comments as well. You know, I feel the same way in Lithuania. I feel the same way in Georgia. I feel the same way here. And I feel the same way that. And, you know, throughout my life, I've always been quite like on a internal level frustrated when people were like oh so ukrainian um is it like russian basically i didn't know it was a separate language or someone would be like oh i wrote about it in my post like oh i love russian food like borscht and pierogi and all this stuff and it's like well it's not actually russian you know like yeah question a little bit Uh, obviously it's an empire right empires sort of steal culture sometime yeah. and, and, and make it their own. So just I wanted people to start questioning some of their assumptions. Yeah, um, I think that is so powerful. To, it is a, a wholly positive thing to point out. But like, I think psychically, if people think that Russia is entitled to Borscht and Russia is entitled to these people, it seems less significant to somebody who hasn't been paying attention when he, this is literally a war on a sovereign country. So I do think what you're doing, pointing out those, the things that differentiate, that do not belong to that nation that simply do belong to this one neutrally, I think does have like a really important impact on kind of casual news consumers and seeing like, oh, this isn't just, they're taking it back. No, they're not taking it back. This is an independent country that has everything, everything of its own. And so you previously mentioned you're very into social media. You previously oversaw social media globally for Newsweek. Did you know as soon as this started happening when you were with your parents and you saw things ramping up that you were going to use your expertise to speak out on this in a strategic way? Or did you decide to do that later? Did you get impatient with sitting around uh, and decide to take it up? So I think a, a a bunch of us actually started doing that even before the war broke yeah. out. 
Um, so I think it was like January in January, the, the same influencer I, I spoke about earlier, Yula, she started with a post that was like, here's what's happening in Ukraine. And then we basically realized, I think, as Ukrainians who were living abroad at that point in time or in Ukraine, but, you know, studied abroad, uh, we realized that there was virtually no content on social media that was English or in other languages that spoke about Ukraine or what was happening. And it was all like, you know, within these like specific bubbles of information that, you know, the, there, there's a massive, you know, Ukrainian uh, sort of social media scene and, and in Ukrainian and in Russian and all of this. But it, there was just not much uh, that was uh, translating to the West and to yeah. people outside. So we started doing a lot of things uh, prior to that. And there's like quite a few people now that are doing it. Uh, you know, we're not like massive accounts, but I think we're all uh, actually reaching quite a quite a bit of people across the world, which has been really cool. Um, yeah, as you said, you know, I've never worked on my own accounts um, mm -hmm. since I started. You know, I've always been like running my personal accounts for my friends, not for yeah. any professional reasons. And I've always had like, I've always um, worked on quite big accounts, both at Newsweek, like, you know, in the millions. So mm -hmm. I, I, I'm quite comfortable with, with um, working sort of either media or activism, social media accounts and growing them and things like that. So it was a big shift for me mm -hmm. to do it personally. And like, Th there was a lot of di different considerations that I had yeah. to have on my personal accounts versus like institutional accounts. So that was totally. quite interesting. But I straight away knew like I had to get on it. That was my only way of contributing. And um, I think a lot of us have been a lot of Ukrainians, particularly like abroad, because we can't directly contribute to what's happening. Well, we can, but indirectly, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. We were all thinking of like, what is the best use of our time? Because we can you know, divide our attention into so many different things and run around like headless chickens, you know, yeah. from from one thing to another. But we, I think all of us really had to think about like, okay, what is my value add to this situation? And I knew I had the expertise. So I was like, okay, I need to um, get going with this. And I'm actually supporting uh, a couple of other like accounts as well uh, with content and just trying to sort of um, focus uh, yeah. educational content to the West in, in English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can definitely see how that that expertise comes through. And I think people people want to be looking for Ukrainians to follow. So it's incredible that you have been able to like provide, make that more accessible for people who who have the insights and maybe need a little bit of help like strategically presenting it. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. 
A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits healthier hair and skin. Yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. I'm curious about, as somebody who has a lot of experience in social media, especially social news, I'm curious what you think about how this war has been represented on social media, how the story of this war has kind of been told in very intense crises, in this case, a war. It sometimes seems like we all collectively kind of like abandon a little bit of caution when it comes to social media. I think for better and for worse, it means that really important things can surface uh, that yeah. otherwise might not because just the people that gatekeep don't don't let it. But there can also be times where things um, take off that shouldn't have. So I'm curious what you think the balance has been. What ways has kind of the speed and democracy of social media news been really important in exposing elements of what's happening? And have there any been have there been any ways where it's been harmful? Yeah, no, for sure. I think. I mean, I can talk for a very long time about the <laughs> positives of of what social media has done. Um, I earlier was also chatting to a friend about this. And, you know, the I think one of the most beautiful things that social media has done and we've experienced firsthand um, uh, during the war in Ukraine is that the amount of help that people were able yeah. to seek and give through very manual means, not any like organized ways, but like screenshots are flying around. And I know that that is also can cause problems because it's harder to verify things. But I've personally managed to find like, you know, shelters for my friends or, mm. you yeah. know, support for my uncle who was driving across the border or various things. So that that was beautiful to see. I think it's like such a grassroots use of Instagram in particular um, and Facebook mm. groups and all this stuff that that's been really, really good to see. Um, I think sort of some of the issues have been, I mean, I think I'm up just it, it's been really important to understand also the position of the Ukrainian government on a lot of the communication stuff on social media and, and outside of it. And, and they've been repeating the same message to all of us in Ukraine, which is please only uh, trust verified sources, government sources, things that are you know, we're allowed to and not allowed to say, because, for example, we are in the middle of a war, you know, and like posting a picture of a tank of a Ukrainian tank you saw outside of your house might be something that will 
strategically cause problems later down the line for the Ukrainian army. So mm-hmm. it's been really, obviously, people want to share as much information as possible, and it's unprecedented time. So it's understandable. But I think strategically, um, it's really important right now to listen to like the directives that are yeah. being given centrally. And, you know, we were also saying earlier that like, before, you know, in a, we would have never imagined in a million years that we would be like, so um thoroughly listening to government advice as like activists <laughs> and stuff like that yeah. but now it's like it's quite crucial to actually fighting the war mm-hmm. um so i think that's that's been uh something that i think is a good and a bad thing and then do also, you think the ukrainian government and leaders have used social media pretty effectively to communicate yeah yeah, yeah. really impressed i think i'm so I, I think they've been doing it for quite a while quite well but i think they've been doing it really well in, in the context of this war. So it's been really, really impactful, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned at the beginning that you sort of decide whenever your day sort of starts, uh, what what an important topic is going to be. I'm curious what that is for you, what it was today, or what it's going to be, what it's going to be tomorrow. What is top of mind for you right now? Good question. Um, <laughs> today, honestly, I think it's really important for us. I've been doing some work for Women's March in Ukraine today. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, fundraising funds right now for for the work that we've been doing and also telling the world what we're using those funds for have been crucial right now to just explain to people sort of this is why we need your money and this is what we are offering uh, mm-hmm. women and this is what we're doing. And I'm really sort of, you know, in all of my colleagues back in Ukraine from Women's March who are actually doing all of this on the ground. Um, so actually a lot of the time, Apart from like the the content that I do myself is also like, mm-hmm. you know, speaking to my friends and asking, you know, what do you need? What what help do you need? Because I'm in a yeah. safe, uh, you know, in a safe location. I, I have the time. I have the ability to do stuff, whatever it mm-hmm. is. So I just ask people, what do you need me to do? And then I and I sort of um, do it. And then I think I'm actually quite interested now to keep um for me, it's really important to keep elevating Ukrainian voices because the other day I went on Twitter and Twitter spaces at the moment, uh, apart from like maybe one, is majority basically like Western pundits yeah. and media men who yeah. are talking about the situation in Ukraine, you know, from a very sort of removed kind of um, way. And it made me really... not uncomfortable because I think it's important to talk about it but I was like there's something missing and it's the voice of Ukrainian people and Ukrainian Mm -hmm. women and 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 people who you know they don't need to dig deep to bring out important topics and and insightful things and I think it's really really important because also the other thing that I think is really important to understand is that a lot of the like western experts on our region have unfortunately all primarily focused on Russia, right? Mm-hmm. Like no one has really studied, well, not no one, that is um, not exactly true, but very few people have focused on studying specifically yeah. Ukraine. The people specifically- that CNN tends to call, that NBC tends to call, they're sort of yeah. calling the same people on their their Russia roster, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, uh, that's my next sort of big thing. And, and we're going to try and um continue we're going to try and set up like a regular space for ukrainians on twitter um cool. and just to be able to share our voices because people yeah. are clearly listening right there's so many people on twitter spaces so um we just want to bring up our voices yeah
We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. I know I've heard from a lot of, from my peers who are happy to donate to some of the bigger organizations, but I do know, and I feel this personally, that I kind of trust women with my money most. So you mentioned Women's March and that you're starting to um, be able to get more information out there from Women's March Ukraine about what the needs are and what they're using the money for. So can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, um, for sure. So just on big organizations, I think the prob- the slight problem right now is that it's very hard for big organizations or NGOs to operate within Ukraine. Like basically there's virtually no staff of these big right. international organizations within the country. And it's all up to like volunteers uh, that have been, you know, organizing a lot of the humanitarian efforts within the country, um, which is why, you know, there's still big organizations, there's still relatively big organizations, but with a few people left, like Women's March Ukraine, like grassroots organizations, I mean, that are doing really important stuff. So what is Women's March doing? Um we are basically focused on a couple of different things. One is finding shelter for women who are fleeing war, finding and, and then, you know, um, providing that shelter for them. Two is finding medication and essential supplies and actually delivering them to women who are um, in, in places that, you know, they, they aren't able to reach them. Three is we're providing 24-7 psychological support for women who are in in, in these vulnerable situations uh, across the, the country. Uh, we're doing it, I think I believe, uh, via chatbot. So people can okay, just wow. text okay. um, cool. a therapist so they don't have to call, they don't have to go through any of that, but they can just talk to someone. And we have mm-hmm. a whole um, sort of group of volunteer uh, therapists who are supporting women. 
That's amazing. And then the final thing, which is, I think, more for like keeping our spirit up, um, is we're also uh, gathering poetry from women in war and publishing that on our accounts and, you know, making sure that women's voices, Ukrainian women um, are heard across the media landscape within this war. That's incredible. I want to ask you um, one more question about what some of your efforts and then another question about Russia's different information. Can you also tell us about Jobs for Ukraine and how you put that yeah. together? Yeah, for sure. Um, so it was actually quite interesting um, because I was thinking like, a lo- I, I was speaking to a lot of my friends and, and for all of us, it's really hard to acknowledge. We don't know how long this is going to go on for, right? Like a lot of people, including myself, like, I don't think this is going to go on for long in my heart, but I know with my mind that it probably will. And so I was just thinking, because I was obviously, as I said, one step removed outside of the country. I was like, how can I think a little bit more long-term in terms of, you know, providing support for people? And I saw that there was loads of like Google sheets flying around with jobs. And I just posted on LinkedIn and asked if any, if a developer would be interested in helping me put together jobs for Ukraine, which basically like, it's like a search engine. We're not, you know, we're not actually responsible for the providing right. the jobs or putting people in touch, but it's just an aggregator of uh, everything that we're finding online and, and opportunities for people. And now I think there's like 2000 plus different jobs on, on the account. And, and uh, I believe like we have now a group of wow. like six volunteers that are helping in different countries uh, and really like trying to push uh, companies as well to upload their jobs mm-hmm. and, and um, make sure that there's like a whole variety of jobs because yeah. a lot of the jobs that we're seeing are for like the tech sector. But obviously, you know, like a middle-aged woman right. from Ukraine with four kids who doesn't speak English probably is not going to get that, you know, developer job yeah. at Facebook. Right. So it's like really about giving more opportunities. I'm, I'm not saying that yeah. she can't. She obviously yes. can. But um, a I bit think more diversity. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of Facebook, so today Russia cut off or about or yesterday, Russia cut off access, I believe, to Facebook and Instagram because Facebook allowed temporarily that they would let certain messages um, kind of about violence related to Russian troops to to stay for people to express their fury at invaders in their country. And in response, um, Russia said, OK, now these, we're shutting down these platforms. And you sort of got at this earlier that planting this idea of Russophobia has been part of the disinformation campaign to sort of justify Putin's uh, invasion. Do you think, um, can you sort of characterize what Russia's goals are with that disinformation? And if you think platforms have done enough to to silence it? Yeah. Um, I, from the very beginning, from actually years ago, I studied um, at King's and I did war studies and I did a lot of work on narrative and the, the role of narratives in wars. And I personally am like, well, I'm. I think everyone is 100% certain that the the narrative that Putin has created via all of his, you know, communications channels, be that media or social media, has been a big part of why he was able yeah. to do what he's doing right now. Uh, and you know, th- a lot of these like propaganda and I, I don't want to call them fake news; they're just lies. They're not news. You know, the lies that have been spread, the propaganda, and all of that is it has basically he's been able to justify. Um, his invasion, his like brutal invasion and senseless invasion to a lot of people within Russia, probably some outside of Russia. Um, and so it's been really, really, really important to keep keep talking to the world about how those things are lies, right? There's a certain um, 
I also like, I know that Russia is saying that the response, uh, that, that, that what they're doing with Instagram by blocking Instagram mm-hmm. is a response to what Instagram did to them. Right. But I actually think that there's a growing sentiment within Russia that, you know, this is a completely, you know, unbelievable thing that that senseless and unbelievable thing that Putin is doing and so it's just another way in my opinion to shut down any dissenting voices within Russia um just to make sure that everything is quite controlled and uh, I think uh, platforms have they done enough I think they've they've been doing what they can because the situation has you know developed so rapidly um over the past couple of weeks that it's been quite hard even for us Ukrainians to follow all the developments. And I'm sure that for people outside, it's been quite hard as well, including some of these social media companies. But I can tell you personally that they have been helpful personally. They have made a personal right. effort to reach out to creators on social media and talk to us about what we want and what is helpful. And it's been quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much for your time. I mean, after talking to you, I already could tell this, but it's just like, we're all so lucky that your expertise and experiences have have lined up to prepare you to be so value in this moment. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll we'll share more information on our, on our social media about uh, the Women's March in Ukraine, because I know our audience is going to be really excited to have that option. Thank you so much. I'm really happy that I got a chance to talk to you. Me too. Thank you, Val. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betches Up Podcast. The Betcha Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.